This morning, we're concluding our series we've called Forgotten God. We've been exploring all the ways we may have inadvertently ignored or neglected the third person of the Trinity. We, we know that God the Father is for us. We know that God the Son came to be with us. But do we sometimes miss the promise and the power and the presence of God the Spirit within us? In the book that inspired this series, from which we stole the title, uh, author Francis Chan writes that if he were the devil... And his main goal was to thwart God's kingdom and God's purposes on the earth. One of his main strategies would be to get Christians to ignore the role of the Holy Spirit. He says that the degree to which this happens is directly connected to the dissatisfaction we might sometimes feel with church and in church. Note the connection. If we're dissatisfied with church, Francis Chan says, it might be because we aren't allowing the Spirit to lead us and to guide us. We understand something is very, very important is missing, but that something is actually a someone. Without an awareness of God's Holy Spirit, we might begin to operate out of our own strength and then accomplish only human-sized results. Anybody been there? operating out of our own strength, accomplishing only human-sized results. The world is not moved by love or actions that are of human creation. And the church is not empowered to live differently without the Holy Spirit. But, he says, when we begin to live with an awareness of the power of the Spirit, the evidence in our lives is unmistakable. The evidence of our lives is supernatural. And the church cannot help but be different. And the world cannot help but notice. So over the past five weeks, we've seen how the Holy Spirit indwells our very bodies. As close as the breath that we breathe. The Holy Spirit gives us life when the world drains life from us. The Holy Spirit brings forth fruit from our seeds of faith. It gives gifts that we might build one another up. It guides us into deeper truth. But we cannot conclude this series. We cannot stop thinking about the Spirit unless we pause for a moment and recognize that the same Spirit who comforts us, the same Spirit that guides us, the same Spirit that leads us into truth is the same Spirit who sends us out into the world. That the Holy Spirit is not only this guarantee of the future good news of God's return to the world, that the Holy Spirit is also the one that sends us out for our work in the world. God's Spirit fills us up in order that God might send us out. Amen? Well, that wasn't really convincing, so <laughs> I'll check back with you in a few, a few minutes, okay? Hear God's word in Acts chapter 8. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So, Philip started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace. Now, for us, Candace is a, a, a first name, but here it's used as a title a title meaning something like the Queen Mother of Ethiopia. In Ethiopia, it was thought that the king was a, one of the gods. And so he would reign, but he wouldn't rule. And so he had the Queen Mother who would make all the important decisions and would lead the country. So Philip meets 
this Ethiopian eunuch, an important official. We read, This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, Philip is told to travel on the road that leads south from Jerusalem down to Gaza, but he never gets to Gaza. This is a well-traveled 60-mile journey that connects the two cities, then continues on to the African continent. But Philip never gets there. He never really gets anywhere except to this interaction with this Ethiopian man. Have you ever had an experience like that? Where you went somewhere to do something, but that thing never happened, but something else did? Anybody? When I was 23 years old, I, has, I was starting as a student at Fuller Seminary living in my hometown after a year off after college to make sure going to seminary and into ministry was what I was really supposed to be doing with my life. I had applied to Fuller and had been accepted, and I thought, well, then I'm going to need a job to you know, pay for Fuller. So I came down to this area, and I had an interview with a church that I'd applied to work in. And I went through the interview, and it went well, and I was even offered the job, but I wasn't quite sure about it. On my way back, I stopped by the campus and looked at a number of different postings, other job opportunities, and I saw one with uh, another church, a Presbyterian church, with a pastor named Dana Allen. And I had this sense that maybe I'd apply for that job instead of working with the church that I had just interviewed with. And sure enough, I applied for that. I turned down the position I'd just been offered, went on to work with a man who became a, a close friend of mine for the past 20 or so years, and we, we had a number of wonderful years of ministry together. If I hadn't come down to this area, about f- f- 200 miles away from my hometown, to interview at a different church, I would have never seen the job posting to work at the job I ended up getting. You see, the same thing happens to Philip. He's told, hey, go to that road, that desert road that leads from Jerusalem down to Gaza, and, and he just goes. 
He never gets anywhere except to this interaction with this one man who could not be more different than he is. We learn a great deal about this man. We know less about Philip than we do about this man. We learn about this man's position, his preparation, his potential, and his problem. This sermon brought to you by the letter P. I apologize, it just worked. First, notice this man's position. Um, he, He is both powerful and prestigious. He is the chief treasurer of a wealthy kingdom known for its iron and its gold. Notice he's riding in a chariot. He is described as being Ethiopian, which in the first century referred to the upper Nile region of Africa. It would be in modern-day Egypt or Sudan. This was considered the ends of the earth to someone like Philip. This was as far away as anyone could imagine. And what's more, this man had a physical abnormality or had undergone surgery in order to serve uh, in a powerful and prestigious capacity in the royal family. It was eunuchs who were hired to work with the royal family uh, because they could be trusted in a way that other men couldn't. If you don't know what I mean by that, ask your parents when you get home. (laughs) Just Just gonna leave that there. But it's a big deal. I mean, this is a powerful and prestigious man, probably the third in command of the country. Now he's prepared for this conversation by his engagement with the scroll of Isaiah and his visit to the temple. The language implies that he'd been to Jerusalem on a kind of pilgrimage, a good thousand miles away from where he called home. And so it follows that because of his position, because of his preparation, he also has tremendous potential. Think about the third in command of a powerful country in the ancient world coming to know this Jesus. He has tremendous potential for sharing the gospel with others, for sharing the good news of God's kingdom. Especially when we remember the purpose of Luke in writing the book of Acts is to demonstrate how the gospel should go to the ends of the earth. You remember in Acts 1.8, everybody's really excited to go share the good news of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, and Jesus says, wait. Wait until the Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll receive power. And you will go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, here is a man who is on his way to the ends of the earth. So, his his position, his preparation, his potential, and yet, this man has a problem. His engagement with the religious system has not answered all of the questions that he has of faith. He has been to the temple a thousand miles from home. But what did he find there? Some of you may know what he found there, that he found a temple that would not let him in. Whether he was born as a eunuch or he underwent surgery in order to serve the royal family, the first century temple would have said he was not welcome in that sacred space due to his physical defect. And no wonder he's reading from Isaiah, the suffering servant psalm about a man who was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent, this man did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, this man he reads about, this man was deprived of justice. His life was taken from the earth. And that's where it cuts off That's what Luke tells us he was reading. But don't miss the implication. 
Luke is trying to test our knowledge of the scriptures here because you know the second half of that verse, right after Luke cuts it off, the second half of that verse says, he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. Again, if you're not catching the connection, ask me after the service. Here this Ethiopian eunuch is finding this great connection with someone in the scriptures that has lived like he has lived. Someone who has been kept out of the temple. Someone who has felt a a guilt and a shame. No wonder he's drawn to this passage that foreshadows Jesus, written 800 years before his birth. For this man who suffered physical abnormality or underwent surgery to serve the royal family, he too was kept out of the Jerusalem temple, just like Jesus was kept out of the city. He was crucified on a hill outside of the limits. Now, this man's position, his preparation, his potential, and his problem, but then juxtapose Philip on the other hand. Philip is Greek. Philip lives in Jerusalem. In all likelihood, he's from very humble circumstances. He has no power or authority. He has just been appointed, newly appointed, as the deacon of courtesy meals. This is true. This is true. In Acts 6, do you remember? They're trying to make sure everyone is fed. And the earliest apostles say, well, some of us need to be uh, working with, with the scriptures and praying and sharing the good news. And we may need to make sure that other people are going out and feeding those who are hungry. And so that's where Philip comes from. He is appointed as a deacon of courtesy meals to make sure no one is hungry, to make sure everyone has something to eat. You see, Philip works in the kitchen. He's not elected to be a traveling evangelist. His job description is not to preach. It is not to evangelize. It is not even to take walks on desert roads in the heat of the day. But when the Spirit of God indwells this Philip, and when the Spirit of God tells him to go, he goes. Notice, it wasn't Philip's idea Luke is really clear about that. He could have told the story as in like, yeah, there's this guy named Philip, and he took a walk on a road one day, but he doesn't. He says, there was a man named Philip, and the Spirit told him to go, and he went. And he interacted with someone completely different than him. We cannot underestimate how dramatic this was. Remember that in the ancient world, people who were different from one another did not interact with one another. Remember when Jesus tells that story? When he tells that parable about a man who looked to heaven and thanked God that he was not like other people? Do you remember that? Jesus wasn't making that up. People prayed that kind of prayer. But when the Spirit of God instructs Philip to go to that chariot and to stay near it, he goes to the chariot and he stays near it. And remember, the chariot is moving. So it would have been something like this. Hey! Do you understand what you're reading? <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Now, I love, I love how this powerful and prestigious and prosperous Ethiopian man, this man who is at the top of the world, is willing to ask for help in understanding the scriptures. Did you notice that? Despite his position, despite his preparation, despite his potential, he admits that he has a problem. The great John Calvin once explained it this way. He said, this man acknowledges his ignorance freely, juxtaposing this man who is swollen-headed with confidence in their own abilities. Calvin continues. He says, this is why the reading of the scriptures 
bears fruit with such few people today. Because scarcely one in a hundred is found who gladly submits himself to God's teaching. And yet we find it here in this man. This man from the ends of the earth who must have recognized all these differences and he yet he asked that question, why shouldn't I be baptized? He must have seen that Philip was poor, that he's Greek, that he's from Jerusalem, maybe even that he wasn't a very polished preacher. Notice, we don't have Philip's words transcribed to us. We've got some incredible sermons from Peter, right? Remember Peter's sermon after the Spirit falls in Pentecost and like 3,000 people are saved? It's like an instant megachurch. Remember Paul's sermon at, at the Areopagus when he's preaching to people who've never even read the Scriptures and he finds a way to talk about Jesus? We have some incredible sermons through the book of Acts. We don't have one from Philip. And yet... This Ethiopian eunuch asks, why shouldn't I be baptized? It's his question that gets recorded. It's not Philip's answer. We see this exchange from his perspective. He asks, what's the barrier to keep me out of the kingdom of God? Is it my wealth? Is it my power? Is it my geographical location? Is it my physical condition? Because I've been to the temple and they didn't let me in. Other translations would render his question, what can stand in the way of my being baptized? What prevents me from being baptized? Why can't I be baptized? In other words, is this just for Greeks? Is it just for people in Jerusalem? Is it just for those in humble financial circumstances? Is it just for those who look a certain way or speak a certain language or live in one location or have another ethnicity or socioeconomic status or appearance or language? What's the barrier that keeps me out of this thing? And I have to wonder how many people around us are wondering the same thing. Is there room in the kingdom of God for me? Or or is there some sort of barrier that I can't quite get over? Our world is filled with barriers. Some of them are physical. Others of them are symbolic. And so, it's easy to feel left out. Especially after the year we've had. We are more distanced and divided from one another than ever. Think about it. We've been home alone, engaging with our favorite news channel and the algorithms created for us by social media to see the things that we would like. And if we're not really careful, we can begin to function in an echo chamber, can't we? When that happens, it's, it's so easy for us to define ourselves by what we're not. And if we do that for too long, we start to define ourselves by what we're against. Anybody admit to that? See, that prayer Jesus tells us about, remember that guy who stood at the temple and said, thank you, God, that I'm not like other people? I think that prayer still gets prayed a fair bit today. Maybe not out loud. Maybe not in church. But deep within the recesses of our soul. We think that same sentiment. I'll tell you, I thought it yesterday on the Little League field during the championship game with 10-year-olds. <laughs> True story. Well, I'm not that coach. We lose with class. <laughs> and we did lose. Here, But here's the point. God's spirit, that same spirit that brings forth fruit from our faith, that same spirit that comforts us in times of grief and mourning. That same spirit who 
light bulb goes off and leads us into deeper truth. That same spirit is the spirit that sent Philip out. And I'm convinced that it's the same spirit that wants to send us out. Send us out of our echo chambers. Send us out of our judgments of other people and other things. I've got them. I don't know about you. God's spirit is calling us out. Out from behind the barriers we may have built as a form of protection. Out from behind even these wonderful walls in which we meet. God's Spirit is calling us out. God's Spirit is calling us out to others who have radically different positions, have different kind of preparation, have incredible potential, but they might just have a problem. We can't know for sure, but if Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch kept reading that scroll of Isaiah, they would have found an incredible passage Just three chapters later, in Isaiah chapter 56, verse 3, we read these words. Imagine you're that eunuch who's gone a thousand miles and wasn't led into the place that he traveled to be. And hear these words. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say that the Lord will exclude me. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, those who hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord and minister to him to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, those who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, those who hold fast to my covenant, These I will bring to my holy mountain. I will give them joy in my house of prayer. Remember, we're still talking about foreigners here. We're still talking about eunuchs here who had been kept out of that sacred space. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices, they will be accepted. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares that he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others besides those already gathered. I will gather others besides those already gathered. It reminds me of a line from a George Herbert poem. Bible laid open, millions of surprises. Oh, the surprises of God when we are attuned to his spirit. Oh, the surprises of God when we're attuned to his spirit and we're called to go do something that doesn't actually even really happen. Philip doesn't go anywhere except this conversation with this Ethiopian man who couldn't be more different than him. And as a result of obedience to the spirit, the gospel went to the ends of the earth. The spirit calls Philip out when he was content to stay in the kitchen. And so... We are content to stay where we are. We are comfortable where we are. But whose chariot are you called to go and stay near? Whose chariot are you called to keep in step with? It's no mistake that we're told to keep in step with the Spirit, that Spirit that sends us out. I love that Philip wasn't even told what to say when he got to the chariot. We don't read that anywhere, do we? All he's told to do is to go and run alongside this chariot. And when we do that, when we engage with people, even those who are very different than us, we can trust that the Spirit will meet us there, and the Spirit will give us the words to say. And so, God, would you open our eyes and ears this day? 
would we recognize that tendency and that temptation for us to stay where we are content, to stay where we are comfortable? Would you help us to recognize it because you are the God who calls us out? Would your spirit open our eyes, open our ears? Would it soften our hearts and would it quicken our feet to run alongside those chariots? It's in the name of Jesus. It's for the sake of your kingdom that is going to the ends of the earth that we pray all this. Amen.